When we start putting, implementing the biological approach, you as a grower have to pay attention to a lot of things. It's a very different approach to farming where the farmers are really going to be the people doing the thinking. Welcome to the 297th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, community food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. It's been said that dirt is just soil that's in the wrong place, on your kitchen table or in a creek, for example. But soil microbiologist Elaine Ingham maintains it's much more complex than that. Dead soil is dirt no matter where it's located, including a farm field. Living soil, on the other hand, is full of the stuff that characterizes biological activity, such as birth, death, predators, prey, decay, rebirth, and good old-fashioned teamwork. Imagine when all that activity is put to work creating fertility, the kind that can grow healthy plants. That, say scientists such as Ingham, is the definition of a self-perpetuating system, one that doesn't require artificial inputs to stay productive. But the bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and other organisms that make up a community of willing workers, as she calls them, are often not utilized to their full potential, thanks to farming systems that kill them off through tillage, intensive chemical use, and growing schedules that maintain living roots in the soil only a few months out of the year. In other words, we have extremely low expectations when it comes to our soil. We assume that the only way it can be productive is if it's force-fed a steady diet of chemical fertilizers and pesticides. During the past several decades, Ingham has set out to prove that by raising our expectations and tapping into soil's innate ability to be productive, we can step off the treadmill of constantly adding more and more chemical inputs to our farm fields. That message is particularly relevant to farmers these days, given sky-high prices they're paying for nitrogen fertilizer, for example. Ingham has taught soil microbiology at the university level, and is the author of the USDA's Soil Biology Primer. She's also the founder and director of research at Soil Food Web Incorporated. This company works with farmers and ranchers all around the world who are seeking to bring their soil back to life. Elaine emphasizes the benefits of utilizing composting and diversity to build the biome and tap into all those willing workers beneath the ground. She also drives home the message that farmers need to become keen observers in order to build healthy soil. Ingham recently led a Land Stewardship Project soil microbiology workshop at St. Mary's University in Winona, Minnesota. During a morning session, she provided an overview of how to tap into the soil food web. And in the afternoon, we headed to the lab, and Elaine led a tutorial on how to utilize microscopes to identify soil organisms and determine the best steps for creating the fungal-bacterial balance needed to boost positive biological activity. After the microscope workshop, the scientists talked to me about why it's better to work with nature, how composting supercharges biology, and how healthy, self-sustaining soil can make farmers the masters of their own destiny. One of the things that really struck me the first time I saw you speak when you were here a few years ago was you talked about the, and this goes so against conventional agriculture, where we're always pouring in inputs to try to kind of make up for what we've done to the soil. But you, you, you basically laid out soil has the characteristics and the, the kind of has the ingredients almost there to do what it needs to do to raise food for us in a sustainable manner. But 
uh, we have there's we, we have to kind of bring it back to life. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's a concept I think it may be for people who are deep into the soil health movement. It may not surprise them, but for a lot of other people, it may be kind of a surprise that they've always maybe seen soil as just something that you add ingredients to. Um, rather than feeding the soil, you're kind of feeding the plant, that kind of thing, that kind of attitude? You've got to go back to what Mother Nature does in the real world. And the fact that it's been operating for the last (laughs) four billion years might get the impression that Mother Nature knows better than human beings. And yet, you know, the arrogance of human beings that... Poor little Mother Nature doesn't understand what we're trying to do. And, you know, we've got to have all this nutrient in the soil in order to grow the plant. When we see our plant not growing very well, we put out inorganic fertilizer and say, see, that fixed the problem. Mm-hmm. Not in blazes does it uh, <laughs> fix the problem. Uh, you've only uh, dealt with the symptom. You have um, only have a period of time that that inorganic fertilizer is going to work, and then your plants start going downhill again. So how do you actually fix the problem, Mm -hmm. which is a lack of consistent nutrient presence of all the different nutrients, not just nitrogen, not just sulfur or phosphate or whatever. The plant needs all of those nutrients in the proper ratios in order to grow in a healthy fashion, in order to be able to turn on its immune system and have that immune system prevent the diseases and pests from attacking that plant. So where do those nutrients come from? Well, it's already in the soil. Um, It's in your parent material. It's in the rocks, the boulders, the uh, gravel, the um, sand, the silt, the clay. The parent material already contains all the nutrients that that plant requires. Every time it rains and you've got water movement, you're replacing some of that nutrient that perhaps has been used by the plant. So there's constant recovery going on in these systems. So you've got to make certain that you're going to take this plant not available material and convert it into something where it is usable by the plant. Mm -hmm. And what Mother Nature has done is put in this process of the plant starts growing. um, It's got nutrients from the seed, so it's got enough to get by to put out the first set of uh, commands from the plant to the organisms growing around its root system that says, you need to make these enzymes so you can go and pull these nutrients out of the um, bilayers inside the sands, the silts, the clays, the rocks, the pebbles, and all the rest of it, um, pull those nutrients out, and now those nutrients are being held in the bacterial and fungal biomass. Mm. Now, the plant may be putting out other calls for, I need zinc, and I need uh, this uh, aluminum, and I need uh, more uh, calcium, and I need more whatever the plant needs. So there's a whole host of these things, commands going out into the soil around the root system of that plant. The microorganisms that can do those jobs start to grow on that food resource, so those microorganisms grab those nutrients out of the sand, silt, clay, rocks, pebbles, and as well out of any organic matter that might be present in that soil, hold those nutrients in the body of the bacteria and fungi. Not plant available yet. 
So what's the next step? You have to have predators of the bacteria and the fungi, mm -hmm. and they happily come along and eat the bacteria and fungi, and they are now getting the nutrients they need in order to stay alive, but it's always an excess. The concentration of those nutrients inside the bacteria and fungi is way higher than what the predators require. So the predators have to either poop it out or spit it out or exit it in some way. I mean, it doesn't kill those organisms. They're just getting rid of the excess. And the plant says, oh, thank you very much. Exactly what I needed. And the plant gets what it needs. What if there was excess still? Well, the plant's taken up everything it needs. Life is wonderful. Those excess nutrients are going to be taken up by bacteria and fungi and stored once again in the pantry. So regard the bacteria and fungi as being the pantry for that plant. You will never have a limitation. Now, there are other mechanisms that most people don't even talk about because, you know, it's just it gets to be a little overpowering that right. there's... You know, you've got this other way and this other way. We do need to make certain that we have enough organic matter in the soil to keep the bacteria and fungi growing. They don't, they can't grow on just the nutrients from the sand, silk, clays, rocks, pebbles, etc. So they need something more, and they usually have to get that from the organic material. And that's why when we're dealing with soil, in order for it to really be soil, we have to have at least... 3% organic matter. And I, I know that many people will send samples into the local chemistry lab, and it comes back and it says, you have 5% organic matter in your soil. Oh my gosh, you have to do something to get rid of that, because that's going to cause the soils to go anaerobic, and your plant is going to die. And it's like, where did you get that? Where does that come from? It comes from a complete and total misunderstanding about the structure in soil. If you have uh, organic matter layers that have each year been one on top of the other, but because of the compaction, it can't go anywhere, it just builds up, it's not a healthy source of organic matter. It's going to start killing the root systems of your plants. And yeah, okay, now it looks like 5% organic matter is, oh, scary, you're going to lose your plant. But it's not because you got organic matter, it's because you've gone anaerobic. Um, so you got to get into your soil and make certain that they, and they maintain the ability of water to infiltrate into the soil. It's only dirt that will compact. And the dirt holds the uh, inability to move through the soil. And because you've got all of that water at the surface of the soil, it's going to run off. Next time it rains, it's just, it's a goner. Taking all your soluble nutrients with it, taking a lot of your plant with it, and you are going to have lots of losses. We have to recognize that Mother Nature has started out with little messages back to human beings about uh, you're not doing such a good job here. And it gets nastier. The more you ignore Mother Nature, the nastier she's going to get. And when you start looking at the storms and how much energy is being released in those storms, there's never been a year like the one we're in right now. Or the year before that was the next most horrific. And the year before that was the, you know, right in a row. Yeah. It's getting worse and worse and worse. So when do we turn around and pay attention to Mother Nature? Or is she going to just say, look, I've had it with you people. You're, you're, it, there's no hope. Yeah. 
Yeah. You don't pay attention. You never do what you're told. Goodbye. I think one of the most striking slides that you showed, at least for me, was one, it was some research that I think Dr. David Johnson had done where he compared the, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it was comparing the, NP, the effect of NP and K on productivity and looking at, well, when you're short on those, uh, what impact does that have? But then compared it to the fungal bacterial balance, mm -hmm. the ratio, and it wasn't even close. The fungal bacterial balance is the one that really drives the bus there. Yep. It's what really controls that system. It controls where you are in succession. And so the more uh, fungi you have compared to bacteria, the further along that productivity scale mm -hmm. you're, you're moving, that you're going. And the concentration of nitrogen, the presence of nitrogen or phosphorus or phosphate or uh, whatever other nutrient you want to talk to, just does not influence plant productivity the way having the right microorganisms in the system. And it's all got to do with nutrient cycling. Well, that, goes, that just flies in the face of the typical farmer around here is going to go to the co-op, get a soil sample. They're going to come back and say, well, you need this much nitrogen, this and much phosphorus, this much potassium, add it, and you're going to get this kind of a yield. But And it does work in the short term, but in the long term, it's, that, it just flies in the face of, well, of, of that kind of uh, look approach. The, look at the, 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 the problem that we have with those inorganic fertilizers is if you go back, what, 100 years or so, we were putting on very small amounts of those inorganic fertilizers. Mm -hmm. And then with time, you had to start putting on more and keep going down this pathway, and you have to keep putting on more of these things, and more and more and more. And this is what I would call a moron farmer. It's <laughs> <laughs> Mother Nature speaking. Yeah. You know, she's saying, when are you going to pay attention? And if we don't pay attention, and soon, there's not going to be any human beings left to pay yeah. attention. Can you explain a little bit more the fungal bacterial ratio? Is, so, for for one thing, what is the kind of I know I'm sure it varies, but the ideal ratio to have what, what you're having there. But what why is it that what is that relationship? I get the the sense that it's you want more fungal uh, activity, or what? Can you explain that a little bit? Kind of what that relationship it is. On what you want to grow. So you know, if you really want to grow dandelions. You aren't going to ever let those fungi grow in the soil because okay. as soon as you have the fungal biomass in the soil, then it's not going to select for the growth of dandelions. Next step in succession is we want herbs and spices and veggies, things like that. And the ratio of fungi to bacteria to make those plants grow the best is um, slightly well, not not even half the amount of fungal biomass as compared to the bacterial biomass. Hmm. So early in succession, the bacterial biomass is very, very high. Fungi is very, very low. But as you start uh, moving along, the plants that start to grow with the next step of uh, succession put in more fungal food than they do bacterial. And so the fungi start growing. The bacteria get down to about uh, 500 parts per million or uh, ppm of, of, of uh, nutrient, and um, the, uh, the fungi um, are going to continue above that, but the bacteria level off. They don't keep going down, so we have to have those bacteria, 
but the fungi start to take over, and now all of the nutrients in that soil are going to be very, very different. The terpenes, the tannins, the organic matter is completely different, way more complex. And the bacteria can't touch that, those foods, because they don't have, make the enzymes to be able to deal with complex structures. Yeah. And so your um, trees, the woods, the forest systems, the evergreens, um, as you go along that successional um, sequence, um, becomes more and more and more fungal. Like in, in the most productive forest systems on, that we know about on the planet Earth, the whole soil through that winter time becomes completely enmeshed with a fungal biomass to the point where when we go up and pull um, cores out of the soil, we're looking at something where 75% of one gram of soil is fungal biomass. That's how important it is for those trees to get the nutrients that they want. Most people then, you know, they're going to come back, come to that forest in June or July, and they take cores out and they go, Elaine, there, there isn't anything close to that level of fungal biomass in the soil. And I go, so? That's not what I'm talking about. I was talking about as soon as snow melts early in that springtime period. What do the most important predators in the system, what are they actually growing? What are they eating? It's the fungal biomass. And so that's supporting this whole grand system of the, that forest is that um, early in the springtime, there's a massive amount of food resource in that forest system. Come the end of June and July, that's all been eaten up. So that now the, the, you know, all the storage now starts all over again. The first snowfall occurs in you know, late September, October. Everything shuts down, and the fungi in the soil start to regrow. And they pull all those nutrients back into the fungal biomass. And that's what's really repeating in those systems. We've got to start paying attention to the fact that it's completely different sets of microorganisms when we're talking about an, an evergreen forest or a deciduous forest or talking about shrubs or um, bushes, uh, it's, you're then going into the grasses, the really productive grasses. I'm going backwards through succession here and on into the um, highly disturbed conditions where basically there's nothing but bacteria under those conditions. If you're somebody, say you're a crop farmer, who wants to start building that that ratio, that uh, healthy ratio, you need, to, but you're like, oh, I've got one, one and a half percent organic. Where, where do you start? It sounds like one of the th areas you start with, I, I think one of the things you pointed out was you got to have good soil structure. But also it sounds like you've got to get that organic matter up, that that is the key yep. to everything else. Otherwise you're really kind of maybe wasting your time a little How bit. How can these organisms do what they're supposed to do if they don't have food? And so you've got to get that plant production started it takes a while, you know, you start with some pretty horrible weeds and not much organic material in that soil. Mm -hmm. You've got to build it. And now when we reach that threshold of about 3% organic matter, now things start to really move along much more rapidly. And there's so much more nutrient for the plants to be able to access that we're getting better food resource when we're eating food from that later successional system. We've got to move it along 
so that we're going to get the benefits of that. Yeah. But so much of um, you know what people do is think that they can hurry the system up, they're fixing things when they're not at all. So what would be some of the methods people could use to build that organic matter initially? It's called making compost. And so you can go to all the places where we're producing wastes. There really is no such a thing as a waste on this planet except from a human point of view. All of that food waste should be converted into really good compost. So we need you know, 10% high nitrogen, we need 30% green, we need 60% woody in that thermal composting operation that it only takes 21 days to make really good compost and have all the right microorganisms in there for the biome that you're working in. It's not that difficult, it's not that hard. One application of about a quarter um, inch of the compost spread out over that acre is going to bring you up to those organic matter levels that these organisms require in order to start living a healthy life. Start getting the fungal foods to be produced, move along to the food that you want to be growing, and then if we understand what Mother Nature has been doing, we can keep your ecosystem at that stage of succession without harm as long as we remember that we have to have a diversity of crop on the land. We want to make certain that most people would put in complete cover of the soil surface so that when a drop of rain falls from the sky, it doesn't impact on the bare soil and cause compaction at two to three inches down in the soil. When it rains really, really hard, we don't have any bare patches that that water is going to start running off instead of infiltrating. So we want that infiltration to hold absolutely every drop. If you're going to get an inch worth of rain, you better have a couple of feet of uh, good infiltrating structure so the, the water can move down through and be held in all these little pores and all of the uh, hallways and passageways that allow activity to remain through the growing season and through the wintertime often because often if you get down six to ten feet, the party is still happening down there. Okay, it's, you know, the, the, the frozen Northland, <laughs> the frozen upland, yeah. um, and we're down here partying. Come join the group. What I got was struck by your, your um, presentation and in the microscope workshop we did this afternoon was how important, how key observation is mm-hmm. and look, trying to figure out what you're looking for. And that is yet another thing that kind of flies in the face of conventional ag where we're we're kind of reacting to things, to problems that we see rather than being proactive and kind of looking for, oh, what could be some of the, um, you know, the positive organisms out there and how can we kind of nurture them and support them, that kind of thing. So can you talk a little bit about how important in some of the observation, this is I, th- I don't think people think of farmers as looking through microscopes. And we had a whole uh, lab full of folks looking through microscopes and getting really excited about some of the things they were seeing. Well, it, it explains so much of what's going on. So instead of kind of being in this uh, surf position, mm-hmm. then that's what we do to most farmers is they don't ever figure out things. They just follow the orders that come down from the chemistry folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay, so that's what we were told to do, so we go out and do it. You, you aren't really master of your own fate. Whereas when we start 
putting, implementing the biological approach, you as a grower have to pay attention to a lot of things. You have to be constantly looking to see what's happening out there and then taking the proper steps to make sure everything goes smoothly in order to grow the plant you want to grow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how much do you want and what are the nutrients, you know, how are you going to uh, get those 10% high nitrogen, 30% greens, 60% uh, woody materials to make the compost that's always available, or it should always be available, mm -hmm. to fix whatever problem you've got developing on the farm. So it's a, it's a very different approach to farming where the farmers are really going to be the people doing the thinking. Well, and it's kind of it's, it seems fun. I mean, they're they have they're more in control. They're not they're not at the mercy of, for example, if a war breaks out in Europe, <laughs> or we have transportation disruptions, mm -hmm. or uh, the price of oil and gas goes through the roof. They they have much more control, kind of of their own kind of their future a little bit. Yep, their own fate. They're, because everything is really done on a local scale. Um, we want you to work within the uh, biome that you live in. Mm -hmm. And we want to get those organisms that grow best in those conditions. And that's what Mother Nature has been doing for the last four billion years. Yeah. Why do we think we know better? It seems like the science around this, and you've been you know, a pioneer in this area, but has it kind of been a situation where we've had a perfect storm where some of the shortcomings of the conventional system have come to, come to light at a time when the science around soil health and kind of what the biology of the soil has really kind of advanced. Like we've seen some real advances and I think, and farmers are observing things on their own land and maybe going back to the scientists and saying, hey, you know, what's this that I'm seeing? You know, I didn't know you, I was told you couldn't build organic matter in a typical <laughs> lifetime, that kind of thing. I and mean, it just seems like the science is really uh, working hand in hand with some of the shortcomings we're seeing with the conventional system and then well, As a result, so, we're seeing some innovation here. Yeah. Well, there was so strong a tie between the chemical companies and the soils people mm -hmm. at the universities um, that the, the, the truth, really, if you think of it that way, yeah. uh, wasn't about to come out, that you don't really need inorganic fertilizers. You don't need uh, pesticides. You don't need all of those societal things. You don't have to rotate. You don't have to uh, constantly be... Uh, putting in the seed and ripping out the at uh, the other end of the se season that's all completely unnecessary and yeah. and farmers were really kind of led you know down the cherry pathway they struggled to understand why things worked that way and i think we've answered that question for them because there was somebody else making a lot more money <laughs> yeah. when they kind of hoodwinked growers and tried to convince them that there was absolutely no other way. You couldn't possibly put that much organic matter back into the soil. Couldn't possibly, you know, in agriculture, there was going to be a whole uh, separate, you know, agriculture was in this separate box where you didn't, you couldn't, put any or any carbon back in there because it just wasn't possible. And I looked at that and went, are you crazy? If we stop tilling, we stop blowing off all of that CO2. And we now keep all of this biology in the soil and they 
manage to um, tie all this uh, organic matter up. When you start looking at how much fungi can uh, sequester, we're looking at the recent data coming through says 100 tons of equivalent CO2 can be tied up just by the fungi in your soil in one year down to 30 centimeters and you've got so much carbon going back into the soil that when you start calculating that, just for the United States, we're gonna have everything sequestered long before there's any real problem of going over the edge. Mm. But you better start working on this. Yeah. We've gotta, yeah. It's gotta get done so we can go backwards. It's, it's scary thinking about the, you know, where it is, where's the cliff? that we're gonna about, you know, are we really about to go over it? Or do we have another 10 years or we're already beyond it, it's too late, we might as well just give up and party until we all die. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like the party deep in the ground, which is a good party. Mm -hmm. yep. This is, we're talking here in the middle of the winter here in the Midwest, upper Midwest, and when you're driving around in the Midwest in the winter and you tune in to farm radio, what you hear these days, which is interesting, is ads from chemical companies and other companies for that now one of the products they're marketing is what they call biologicals. Mm -hmm. This idea that you can buy a biological, quote unquote, add it to your soil. So I guess the good news is they have acknowledged that soil health may be somewhat important. Mm -hmm. It's not just all mechanical and but and chemis still chemical. To pull the wool over yeah. Your so eyes. can you talk about it? Because I think that's confusing for farmers. They're thinking, oh, okay. I'll buy a biological, but what's the problem with that? The, the biome that you're in is the organisms that are, have already been selected by nature for hundreds of thousands of years to grow and do their jobs very well in that set of circumstances. Well, if you take a biological that was isolated from Florida and now you sell it to people in Minnesota, there's absolutely no benefit because that's not a bacterium that belongs here. It's not going to be able to grow maybe for a couple of weeks, maybe for a short period of time, but then some predator, some condition is not going to be, some, uh, uh, it, it's not capable for that organism to live. Yeah. And so it's gone. Why did you waste your money? Why didn't you just go out and get good compost, ask for the, um, the micro microbiology, uh, what can you see through a microscope, and know for certain that that is part of the biome. It, we already have it here, so why do I have to buy it again? We have to get that information across to farmers that they've been hoodwinked for a long time, and they have to fight their way out of that uh, paper bag. It's that whole idea of maybe... Uh, co-evolution with that system, that local system. Like you said, it's it's every area is new, unique, and mm -hmm. and you know it can vary from even maybe county to county in some in some cases. But yeah, you know that some uh, some of the biomes are very large, um, some of them are very small, mm -hmm. and you know we've we've got most of the biomes on Earth already um, um, worked out. It's not like we have to spend you know, the next 10 years in research, we've already done it. We already know how to fix the landscape level problems. So we don't have to re-find the information 
to allow farmers to get moving. And within the next year, most farmers could probably fix all of the problems that they've had on their um, farm because we can get that biology back into the system. It's going to take a concerted effort by the USDA. Uh, are they interested in going this direction? Because we're sure going to upset the um, people who are in the USDA right now because most of them, not all of them anymore, but most of them are, oh, this woman is crazy. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And yet the research data that are coming out now are pretty much all saying this is the way it works. For more information on Elaine Ingham and soil microbiology, see the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 297 at landstewardshipproject.org. There, you'll find links to podcasts and other information related to LSP's work with soil microbiology. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Morgandale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 